Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all of God's quarantiners. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Here we are getting ready to preach in the month of October already. We're looking at the first reading for October 4th, which is Exodus 20, 1 to 4, 7 to 9, 12 to 20. Yeah, you can guess what I'm going to say about that. (laughs) All right, I think there's some commandments in there somewhere. Uh, Rachel, you're up on this one. What do you have for us? Yeah, so the the Ten Commandments, as they are mostly known in Christian circles, are interesting sermon fodder because they are well-known and not well-known at the same time. So it's kind of one of those pericopes that are easy to preach and hard to preach because it's sort of familiar. So mm. so what to do with that, um, you can take a couple of different angles. So I've got a couple of different options that you can kind of go with here. So the first thing that's just an option is to kind of dive into the Hebrew a little bit more and and see what comes out of that. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of fun because in the first couple of verses, you know, we like to think about the Ten Commandments as this very serious moment. Moses with the long flowing beard, the cloud on top of Sinai, this very dramatic moment. And what's sort of unexpected when you look at the Hebrew is that in the very first commandment, God makes a pun. Ah. Which, yeah, it's sort of unexpected. Um, And it will be awful for people like my dad and my dissertation advisor who think life would be better without puns. But if God can make a pun, I think we can count them as okay. Yes. yes. All right. Divine approval. Divine approval. So God's name in the Bible, the holy name of God, is spelled using the Hebrew consonants yod Hey vav Hey, And for our purposes, we could call them y H W H. It's typically sounded out something like Yahweh, though we don't actually know because we've lost the vowels to go with it. So in verse two, God says, I, Yod Hey, Vav Hey, or Y H W H, am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In verse three, then, God goes on to say, and this is a little more of a direct translation than the NRSV offers, there shall be to you no other gods before me. Mm. There shall be is spelled in Hebrew similarly to the divine name. It uses the consonants yod hey yod hey or Y-H-Y-H instead of Y-H-W-H. Mm-hmm. So if you were to translate this as a play, it's almost like God is saying, I am Yahweh, no Yehye's other gods for you. It's sort of a wordplay, and it, it kind of gives a little cheeky tone to this otherwise very somber list of commandments. I, I kind of picture God saying, I'm smiling, but I'm serious here. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that, that wordplay is, is interesting because it sets up a contrast right away between the God of Israel and other gods by using those similar consonants. Yeah, exactly. And don't mess the two up. I mean, you know, if you're going to take it one step further, you could say there's almost like a razor's edge between God and the other gods and don't tip too far off the edge to the Mm -hmm. other direction. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually never thought about that before. That's and I'm a pun lover, so... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Another tool in the tool belt. Another, <laughs> right, exactly. So if you were going to go, um, you know, even one verse further, you've got the, um, you shall not make yourself an idol or a sculpted image, however you mm-hmm. want to translate that word. But what I find interesting is what the 
the lectionary has done is taken out verses 5 to 6, which sort of explain why God doesn't want us to do this. And on the one hand, I get why they've been taken out. They they have been interpreted as yet another example of the angry and violent God of the Old Testament, because mm. it says, I, the Lord your God, and am jealous God, visiting the guilt of the parents upon the children, the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Right away, people's ears are turned off. Like, well, that's not the kind of God I want in my pocket. Thank you very much. I think mm. instead of with Yahweh, I'll go with Yehyeh or whatever it might be. <laughs> but what that misses is it showcases a real struggle that God consistently goes through in the Old Testament. The, the, okay, bear with me here. The word for jealous that's translated as jealous here is kana. And in Hebrew, kana or jealousy has strong links with anger in the Hebrew scriptures. So jealousy isn't just like a pouting deity who's a bit narcissistic and isn't getting everything they want. This is like God saying, look, when you abandon me, it hurts and I get mad. This is another way to showcase the difference between a god or a goddess who's made of stone and one that is real and alive. The stone doesn't actually care if you abandon it. God does. It actually affects God. Mm. Yeah, that's good. So, so anger in the Hebrew Bible is this kind of violent, flaring thing, but it's also momentary. So the struggle here that God is nodding to is that the consistent response to people's apostasy is flaring anger from God, but that anger never trumps God's deep, long, abiding love for them that goes on to the thousandth generation. This is actually a powerful statement to God's love, even though it sounds like one of those sinners in the hands of an angry God moments. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of how you would frame the the Ten Commandments as a whole? Like, how do you see this kind of contract or set of commands as a part of the developing relationship between God and the people? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think if you think about kind of the, the go back to Genesis and think about the first covenants that God made, you know, with Noah and the, the rainbow, and then with Abram in Genesis 15, where Abram is dead asleep and God mm-hmm. sort of enacts covenant upon Abram without his even awareness of it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a shift. This is a shift to something new. In some ways, this is God being quite a bit more vulnerable than those covenants before, because God is asking for partnership in this. God is saying, I want you to do this. And I'm going to let you know that when you don't do this thing, it hurts me and that it has effects upon our relationship. So yeah, I think you could see it as commandments, but at the same time, by offering up these commandments, God is making the divine self vulnerable. And that's something pretty new so far in the story. Yeah, I think that's a really good insight. So is there any other sort of uh, parts of this that you want to bring out or ways that you'd want to help preachers think about how to handle this? Just a couple more points. The first one is that um, it has the remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, but it takes out the explanation for it. I love this explanation and I, I wish it was in there. It's, you know, on verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and all that is in them and then rested on the seventh day. God rests from the work of creation. And are we really that arrogant to think that we don't need to do the same? Hmm. 
The other thing that's lovely about it is it extends to everyone. You shall not do any work. And by you, I mean son, daughter, servants, cattle, or stranger. Everyone. Now, it would be a mistake to kind of gloss over how it says you're female or male slave. That's a that's a big problem in this text, in, in our context especially. Mm-hmm. But what it means is it extends to the most powerful and the most vulnerable in the society. And everybody should get that rest. There's a really interesting ministry here in Atlanta. A young black woman started a nap ministry. Mm, right. And she, she says that for people of color, especially rest is a privilege and one that is not typically afforded unless you have the wealth and the privilege to take a nap in the middle of the day. And so her ministry is all around rest and and um, reclaiming rest. And that's kind of a really beautiful idea. Well, it's interesting the way that the lectionary is kind of giving the bare commandment, but then cutting out the kind of interesting <laughs> parts of this that, that kind of flesh out some of the heart behind the commandments. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then finally, there's this really lovely uh, verse where um, the people are afraid after the commandments have been given. And Moses says, be not afraid, for God has come only in order to test you. To Nasa. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah picking my ears up, perked up there. Yep. We're picking up a theme here. And, and this is a nice one. It's very clear what test means here. To test you in order that the reverence of him may ever be with you so that you do not go astray. Do not be scared. God is giving you an experiment, a pedagogical, phenomenological moment so that you may feel the trust of God to your very bones. And that's really a a kind of a neat way to preach this text, too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's good fodder for some sermons on a familiar text. Thanks a lot for uh, putting some preparation into that, Rachel. Yeah, fun as always. All right, folks, we will be here for you next week. In the meantime, you can uh, take a look at our website and see back episodes. If you're looking to sort of put together a series of sermons or Bible studies or something on these early chapters of the Bible, following along with the lectionary, we've got a whole series going back to the very beginning of this sort of semi-continuous reading. You can find all of that at firstreadingpodcast.com. And as always, you can subscribe to us either there on our website or wherever you like to get your podcast fix. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Blessings on your preaching.